This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. A pipeline setback for the senator at the center of Democrats' landmark spending bill. Joe Manchin had to pay the fiddler this week, and they had to take that out of the spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The road to Senate power in these midterms runs through a few states, and one of them is Georgia, where polls have the Democrat slightly ahead of the Republican in the Senate race, and the Republican is ahead of the Democrat in the governor's race. Both of those in the lead are the incumbents, though both races are still pretty tight. These two candidates, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, are basically neck and neck. We really consider this to be a tied race. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Send my regards to Congress. No, I'm not leaving the Capitol Hill beat, but most lawmakers are leaving Capitol Hill, unlikely to return until after the midterm elections. No votes are scheduled for either the House or the Senate for the next six weeks. It's campaign time for many. Before the jailbreak, as it's called around here, Congress did make sure the lights will stay on while it's gone, approving a short-term spending bill extending government funding through the middle of December. It also provides billions more in military and economic aid for Ukraine. It does not, however, greenlight the Mountain Valley Pipeline, a still-under-construction pipeline to deliver natural gas between Virginia and West Virginia. West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin had hoped that project, along with broader permitting reform, would be part of the continuing resolution to fund government. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said it would. After all, agreeing to the permitting reform was key in securing Manchin's vote for the Inflation Reduction Act, the legislative gem for many Democrats, setting up new funding for clean energy, prescription drug prices, and a minimum corporate tax. If not for Manchin's support, that bill never gets passed in the 50-50 divided Senate. And Manchin has enjoyed at times an outsized role in brokering moderation. But when it came to permitting, that influence waned with Republicans and Democrats alike opposed. With the government funding deadline approaching, Manchin acquiesced. He dropped the provision. And as my colleague covering Congress, Chad Pergram, wrote paid the fiddler. Here's what happened with Joe Manchin. And paying the fiddler, if you prefer strings, uh, paying the piper, if you like woodwinds, I guess. But a bill came due on Joe Manchin this week. Uh, There was a mortgage that uh, Republicans had taken out on Joe Manchin after he voted for the Democrats' uh, social spending plan back in August, dealing with climate and health issues and spending and tax and things like that. Uh, Meantime, you had liberals in the House and Senate who had taken out a political lien on Joe Manchin uh, dating back to last year when he was resistant to passing uh, a much larger social spending plan, Build Back Better, as it was often called here. Mm -hmm. He said, no, we can't do that. We have to reduce inflation. We have to reduce the deficit. I want to address uh, the cost of pharmaceuticals. And that's it. So everybody thought this was dead. Well, guess what? He came to Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, in late July and said, I got a deal for you. 
And if you pass this bill like this, they called it the Inflation Reduction Act. Remember, this was important to Joe Manchin inflation. He said, can I get a guarantee on the government funding bill in September that you will approve a pipeline for me in Virginia and West Virginia and also expedite streamline permitting for energy? And Chuck Schumer said yes. And I asked Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, three weeks in a row, would this be in the spending bill? Absolutely. And it will pass, was the response by Chuck Schumer. Well, that bill finally came due. You had Republicans basically, as Joe Manchin described it best, calling it revenge politics. They wanted to get back at him for voting uh, well, for the Democrats bill. And then you had that, this coalition of moderate. Uh, excuse me. I was saying just to explain that a little bit more, what you mean by that is Republicans may not be opposed to the to the policy, but we're not in a we're not eager to give Joe Manchin a win. That's right. And that's exactly how uh, Mitch McConnell kind of phrased it. Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from South Carolina uh, back in August, uh, framed it that way. And then you had this weird coalition of liberals concerned about uh, the environment who didn't want this at all. And again, they were still not pleased with Joe Manchin. This is where I talk about these political mortgages came due and Joe Manchin had to pay the fiddler this week and they had to take that out of the spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. Couple of just sort of so we understand the process here. The reason this was not included in the actual Inflation Reduction Act is because it didn't qualify under the arcane rules of of reconciliation, right? I mean, I guess that the question is, if this was going to be part of the IRA, why wasn't it? Well, maybe Joe Manchin didn't really want it done. (laughs) Maybe that was the offer that Chuck Schumer said, we can't get this in the IRA, because frankly, that might have blown up the IRA. You know, I I mean, again, because, again, you had this coalition. You needed every you needed every Democrat to to vote for it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so, uh, you know, liberals said this is the best we can get. It's pretty close to what we asked for for a long time on social spending policy and health and environmental issues. So they went along with it. Uh, That was going to be hard to see that in that bill. There are a couple of other trains leaving the station. However, there is a defense bill, which the Senate is expected to start here in October later, they're going to go for about go away for about a week and then come back maybe mid-October, maybe for two weeks, maybe as long as two weeks. We'll see about that with an election looming. Uh, And also they have to fund the government again come the middle of December. So there are a couple other opportunities here for Joe Manchin to get what he wants. But again, his bill came due and, uh, you know, he was in arrears politically. But if the appetite isn't there now, why is the appetite going to be there on an NDAA or a longer term spending bill in the middle of December? Well, well, some of the reason was that Republicans might be willing to vote for this on the defense bill because they are loath to vote against defense policy things. Uh, That's a bill that often has wide bipartisan support, especially from Republicans who don't want to leave the military high and dry. And if that is the one major ask from the Democrats, and we don't know that it will be, uh, you could see where Republicans might be hard pressed uh, to accept, uh, you know, to not accept that or reject that. And maybe they modify, you know, his colleague from West Virginia, Shelley Moore Capito, uh, she created her own bill that dealt with permitting reform. But also she said she supported the mansion plan. Uh, again, pipeline runs right through West Virginia, very important to that state. So, you, you know, it remains to be seen if this winds up on that bill. But that might be the political reason if they they think that maybe Republicans and this this weird mix of, you know, liberal Democrats, conservative Republicans were able to kill this on the spending bill, it might be better because Republicans would probably vote for the defense bill. And I guess that would offset whatever no vote you got on on the progressive. Potentially. Potentially. All right. Let's talk about another. uh, This is not legislation that at least has been scheduled for a vote yet, but 
um, a big development. Um, we've been talking about, I think, in, in previous segments, this idea about um, members of Congress and, and their ability to trade individual stocks. And, and about a decade ago, there was something called the Stock Act, where members of Congress have to be transparent. They have to disclose stocks that they own, stocks that they sell, stocks that they buy. This would go further. This would say that you are not able to trade stock if you are an elected member of Congress. I think and it that would go to other branches to most, of government, too, for higher I think level that sounds officials. to most voters like a good idea. Um, why has this been such a slog in, in the House? And we'll see where it goes in the Senate. Well, you use the term slog. I asked that question to Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic caucus chairman, and he said, oh, no, no, I don't think that this has been a slow process at all. This is a legislative process. And the, the political reality of this, Jared, is that it does take a while to get votes together on a controversial issue like this. And so that issue might not be ripe just yet. You know, the reason they passed the Stock Act in 2012, about a decade ago, was because not so much that the members wanted to do it, but it was the consequences they would face from their voters if they didn't do it. Now, that has not reached a critical mass outside of Capitol Hill just yet, but this would be pretty extensive. It would I mean, go against in- uh, officials and, you know, all three branches of government, also senior aides on Capitol Hill. You'd have to put your money in mutual funds and, and stay away from crypto as well. I mean, but and that's been one of the the more complex things. I mean, obviously, I think if you you ask most people, you know, should members of Congress be able to to buy and sell stock? You you might get a, a large majority to say no, that that may be inappropriate. There's propriety issues and there's ethics issues. But this goes beyond that. This is saying that this would apply to spouses, right? This would yes. apply to certain family members, absolutely. To certain family members, um, mm-hmm. it would apply to members of their staff. Um, what does that mean? I mean, have, have that been the concerns then? I know some Democrats, Denny Hoyer, has come out against this. Is it because of this recruiting and retention? Is it because it goes too far in, in his view and some of these members' views? It might be just that. Uh, you know, there was some indication that there was a small universe of members on the Democratic side who were opposed to it. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism toward House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her husband and stocks that he has traded. And, you know, whether or not they share information about bills that may be coming to the floor. And, you know, if nothing else, it's just something that looks bad. The idea right. that members might be privy to what's going on at the higher levels of government and then trade stocks. You know, you had some other members, you know, you had the former congressman from Western New York. who got a pardon from former President Trump, Chris Collins had an issue with this, was convicted, uh, you know, dumping some stocks because he saw potential problems. But that's been this. used as an example for why this law is not needed, right? That it is yeah. already illegal for members of Congress to participate in insider trading. Exactly. But, you know, they want to graduate this to a higher level. And that's where some members have resistance, getting into families, getting into staff members. You know, it's a little bit deeper. How much uh, time do we expect Congress uh, to spend here between, uh, let's say, this weekend and uh, the second week in November? Historically, actually, in a midterm year, they have been here uh, deep into October 2018, dealing with the nomination and the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court uh, here in, in, in 2020. Uh, uh, excuse me, in, in, in 2014, they were here uh, as late as well. So this has happened before for midterm elections. It's not that strange. 2020, even before the presidential election, we were dealing with the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett mm-hmm. days before the uh, 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 the presidential election. So even though people say, oh, they all go home and campaign in October, eh, not really.
And we know that it will be a busy uh, lame duck session as well, at least as it relates to keeping the government open past uh, the middle of December. So no shortage of topics for us to talk about. We'll do it again next week, Chad. Absolutely. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The polling out of Georgia indicates what the analysts call ticket splitting. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock is slightly ahead of his Republican opponent, Herschel Walker, and Republican Governor Brian Kemp is ahead of his Democratic challenger, Stacey Abrams. In both cases, those maintaining the edge are the incumbents, but both races are still tight, though the governor's race may be less so. In the latest Fox News poll out this week, Kemp is ahead of Abrams by seven points. He spoke to Fox News Radio's Guy Benson and brought up COVID policies. You know, she thinks she's smarter than all other Georgians and that she should make these decisions on whether you should go to work, whether your kids should be in school, whether you need to get vaccinated or or wear a mask. And I don't. I, I feel like we should educate the public trust the public and let people decide. Abrams says Kemp hasn't done much as governor except make things worse. I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. When you're number 48 for mental health, when you're number one for maternal mortality. On the Senate side, Warnock's been senator for two years after winning a special election in 2020. He's focused on his efforts to get federal money to the Port of Savannah to relieve supply chain backlogs and his approval of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Georgia hired me to do a job, to lower costs, to provide health care, to create jobs, and to stand up against bigotry and hatred wherever it is found And it is my honor to do that job on your behalf. The latest Fox News poll has Warnock ahead of his Republican challenger, Herschel Walker, by five points, though prior polls had it as an even closer race. Walker told the Fox News Rundown podcast this past week. He's been in office less than two years, and we have a high economy. Crime is bad. The board is wide open. You know, we have wokeness in our school, wokeness in the military, and less than two years. And he asked for the people to give him six more years. And I think two is enough. For those in Georgia on the ground, the state has changed. They currently have two Democratic senators, and Stacey Abrams came close to winning for governor four years ago in what is perceived as a red state. But the state may have shifted even more as of late. Since 2018, the last time we had midterm elections. Patricia Murphy is a political reporter and columnist at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Georgia has added 1.6 million new voters, which is about a fifth of the electorate. So that is a fifth of the state that has never voted for either Brian Kemp or Stacey Abrams, who's his Democratic challenger. So it's a rematch, but it's not a rematch. It's a really different kind of race. And you can really feel that when you're on the ground. So we, just like the campaigns, are trying to figure out who these new voters are, what they care about, will they vote, um, what are the issues that are going to motivate them. And that's a big piece of the unknown, to be honest with you, going into this election. We don't know exactly who's going to show up to the polls and um, what effect that's going to have. It could obviously swing the election either way in a state that's as close as Georgia. To that point, then, 
are you looking at other metrics like, gee, how many people have moved in from out of state and from which state have people moved in from? Like, what are sort of the things that you look at to sort of clue you in or key you in on something before the actual election? Yes, absolutely. So we know that there are three buckets of voters, of new voters. Um, one group are the young voters, the uh, Georgians who were uh, not quite 18 last time around, but now they've all turned 18 and they're going to be eligible to vote. The second bucket is people who have moved in from out of state. And that is really the majority of who these new voters are. Um, then also there are the group of voters who were not registered the last time around, but are getting registered by the campaigns. That's a much smaller group. And we know that because Georgia has automatic voter registration. And when you go get your driver's license, you're just automatically registered to vote wow. unless you say you don't want to be. And so the biggest chunk are those new voters. And what we know about them from our own research is that they are um, more diverse than the population. They're younger than the Georgia population um, on average, and they're more likely to be Democrats because those are typically reliably Democratic voters here in the state. And so we know that this new chunk of voters could give Democrats a, a real leg up if they can motivate them to get out to the polls. And that's the big if for Stacey Abrams and her campaign. The latest Fox News polls came out this week, and they show in the Senate race, um, the incumbent Democrat, Raphael Warnock, is ahead of Herschel Walker, the Republican, by five points. I know prior polls had been a little bit closer than that. What's your sense about this race? So our sense about this race is that it has definitely tightened, and they these two candidates, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, are basically neck and neck. We really consider, consider this to be a tied race because polls have shown either Warnock ahead by no more than five points. Um, and uh, certainly uh, if Herschel Walker is winning, it's been by about a point or two, no more than that. And so it just feels like they are trading back, uh, trading the lead back and forth. Um, also, there's a third candidate in this race. His name is Chase Oliver. He's the libertarian and mm -hmm. he's getting about 3%. That is hugely important in Georgia because you have to win 50% in November to avoid a runoff and the right. runoff would come in December. And so Governor Brian Kemp does not have that same situation in his race. There is a libertarian, but that libertarian is only getting about 1% of the vote. And so um, this presence of the libertarian candidate in that Senate race is really um, making us look to the likelihood that this could go to a runoff. We've never seen either Warnock or Walker get to 50% or even all that close to 50%. And so mm -hmm. this is a race that feels like we're going to have kind of a second round after November if it goes oh. the way we're expecting it. Interesting. Yeah, the enthusiasm gap and the support gap for, for Walker seems significant. In the Fox poll, at least, he's down by 20 points on enthusiasm compared to Warnock. And while 95% of Democrats say they support Warnock, just 82% of Republicans say they support Walker. Um, do you think the overall polling numbers would be different if a different Republican were running? In other words, is Georgia still like a lean red enough that this is about the candidate they have? Or we just don't know because, as you said, we've got a lot of new voters. Yeah, we really don't know because we're in just this incredibly unusual election cycle where Governor Brian Kemp had a really strong primary. It looked like it would be a strong primary for former Senator David Perdue. Um, 
former President Donald Trump has gone after Brian Kemp relentlessly since the 2020 elections. And even though he's a Republican, um, that has brought some Democrats over to Brian Kemp's side. So he's getting wow. a an unexpected level of Democratic support, um, as is Raphael Warnock. Um, he's getting Republican support um, in a way that we weren't expecting to see. And that is a huge factor for Raphael Warnock, because those voters who are the split ticket, Brian Kemp and Raphael Warnock voters, those Republicans are saying they don't feel like Herschel Walker has shown them that he's really, really ready to do this job. Obviously, he was a professional football player, so famous here in the state. He's almost the most famous Georgian that we have. <laughs> and then the fact that he's on a Senate mm -hmm. race um, means that he has a very high floor. So he came into this race winning the GOP primary with about 70% support. Um, yeah. And that support has only increased from Republicans, but just to a point. And so he does mm -hmm. feel like a really unusual candidate for the Republicans because he was able to dominate that GOP primary against three other very, very qualified, you know, in, an other, in, a, in a normal year, any one of those three Republicans would have gotten elected statewide. But because Herschel Walker came in and was so beloved and famous, especially among the Republican electorate, um, he ran away with that primary. Yeah. However, he also is having to do more work to convince some Republicans that they want to send him to the Senate. On that ticket splitting note that you just pointed out, it, it does make you look at Kemp a little bit more closely because, um, and again, I, I'm going to point out the Fox News poll, it, it found Kemp's approval rating at 57%. But it also found that um, supporters of Stacey Abrams are far more enthusiastic than supporters of Brian Kemp. Just 54% of Kemp supporters say they're excited about voting for him. And 75% of Abrams supporters say they're excited to vote for her. What does that tell you about, I guess, how voters feel about Kemp or or about, I guess, if they're choosing him because the, they don't like the alternative or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it says a lot about Stacey Abrams that her support is sort of what we consider more narrow and deep. The people who mm. are voting for her love her. She is at this point sort of a legendary figure in Georgia democratic politics, um, not only because she um, won uh, she came kind of kind of close to winning in 2018, but the 2020 races, when Joe Biden won Georgia in 2020, Democrats gave Stacey Abrams more credit than Joe Biden for that victory because of this immense ground game that she put into play um, because of her fight for voting rights. And they really felt like she had ceded the territory for a Democrat to win statewide. So the people who support her love her. and she, But she is having to do a lot more work to convince um, moderates and any um, kind of you would think of them as kind of soft Republicans, moderate Republicans. She's made very little progress with moderate Republicans. And this is a state where if you want to win more than 50 percent of the vote, you're going to have to get more than half of the voters. So somebody else from another party is going to have to come over and support you. Kemp is doing that with some Democrats, but Abrams has not been able to do that with moderate Republicans and independents as much. She also has an unusually soft level of support among Black voters, especially Black male voters. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that she is a woman and a Black woman running statewide. That has obviously um, not, we've never had a female governor. We've never had a Black governor. She's really running uphill against both of those sort of historical, um, that muscle memory for voters. And so she's having to do a lot of extra work with Black voters that we were not 
expecting her to need to do, especially with black male voters. And tell me a little bit about Stacey Abrams, you know, because this, as you noted, it's her second time around, right? And I, I, it sounds like you're hinting a little bit at, at a possible ceiling for her support in the state. And I'm just wondering, you know, she's made a lot of comments on the campaign trail. Um, she said, like, for example, her unwillingness to concede the governor's race four years ago can't be compared to what former President Trump did. Um, she said a fetal heartbeat at six weeks isn't an actual heartbeat. Is she as popular as she was four years ago? Or as you just said, is it sort of it really depends on the on the demographics and maybe a little bit of support, maybe broader support among more moderates is waning. Yes. Well, I think that um, the moderates are making their choice right now with Governor Kemp. The state's economy is extremely strong right now, um, mm. although you can really feel the national economy um, sputtering and struggling. Georgia yeah. kind of every week has a new company announcing that they're going to move their headquarters to Georgia, um, oh. that uh, Governor Kemp passed across the board tax cuts. He's given teachers pay raises in the last year. He's given law enforcement pay raises, and those are across the board statewide. So it's a, he's had a series of, along with his very conservative policies, it's not that he's not conservative, um, but he also has had a lot of financial and economic um, good news to be able to share with all mm -hmm. voters. And so I think that's really given him that boost of support. Um, now what Abrams uh, believes and what her campaign believes is that especially the abortion issue, um, that has not been at all popular with Georgia voters. What uh, Governor Kemp signed, it's a six-week abortion ban that Kemp signed in 2019. Um, that is uh, broadly unpopular in the state. It's uh, got about 36% of mm -hmm. Georgians support that. So the Abrams campaign is saying uh, these polls do not reflect that, in their opinion, how much that's going to galvanize um, female voters and um, even moderate Republican women to come over mm -hmm. to her side. She had a quote um, really just within the last day. Stacey Abrams said that a poll is a snapshot, but what are you taking a picture of? She believes there's this kind of tranche of unlikely voters who are going to come out and vote against Brian Kemp, might not even be for Stacey Abrams, but against Brian Kemp for signing that six-week abortion ban. And that's really the direction that her campaign is going in right now. Fascinating. Um, interesting to hear that Georgia's economy, um, that the vibe there is that it, it feels better than the national picture, especially, I guess, if you've got 1.6 million new people, I would, I, I guess you would imagine more, there would be more companies as part of that. Um, but I, I want your thoughts about um, former President Trump, because he did really well in the primaries nationally, right? But not in Georgia, as you noted. Um, his pick for Republican governor, David Perdue, didn't obviously fare well, and, and Kemp got to hold on to get the chance to run again. Where are Georgia Republicans on Trump? So Georgia Republicans in our 2022 primaries, I mean, just basically rejected Donald Trump. They rejected his pick for governor. They rejected his pick for um, insurance commissioner, secretary of state, uh, governor, uh, not, I'm sorry, President Trump had run a candidate against our sitting secretary of state, who's Republican, Brad Raffensperger. Um, he put a lot of time and effort into pushing Jody Heiss for that seat. Mm -hmm. And Jody Heiss got less than 40% of the vote. Um, there was just this kind of, he, Trump was running candidates up and down the ticket and nearly all of them lost. And, you know, even for attorney general, these way down the ballot races you never really think of. He was really looking to unseat all of the Republican incumbents that he felt like were not supportive of his efforts to flip the election in 2020. Um, but 
you know, Georgia voters just didn't really care. Um, Governor Kemp won with more than 70% of the vote. Um, and that was the case for most of those Trump candidates down ballot. And so um, it might be different if, uh, if, uh, President Trump ran again and was running sort of with his own name in a GOP primary, um, but his name sort of tangentially on the GOP primary ballot here in Georgia made no difference. And I would say in some cases it might have even hurt some of those um, some of those Republicans who might have been better off just trying to establish their own brand identity instead of running just on Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 elections. It just didn't work. It was kind of a huge flop if you had to describe it in any other way. Why do you think that is? It's so interesting because so many other places, right? It's not the flop, but why was it because Georgia was such a focal point of Trump's at the time? Yeah. I mean, you know, we have that very famous phone call of him right. calling Brad Raffensperger and saying, I just need you to find 11,000 votes. Um, and it went on and on and on. And while that was happening. You know, we had Governor Kemp, an elected Republican governor, elected Republican uh, lieutenant governor. Every statewide official in Georgia is a Republican, including the Secretary of State. Um, the Republicans maintain control of the state House and Senate um, here in Georgia during the 2020 elections. Um, and when the Senate races went to runoff in 2021, uh, President Trump came here and campaigned repeatedly for those Republican senators. And at, we had just lots of evidence that that is what flipped those races, that that was a rejection of Donald Trump as well. So um, I think he was running against and making his case against Republicans here in the state who were in charge and who were popular at the time. Mm. Um, and so he kind of, you know, did not ever present any facts to say what I'm saying is true. He just was making personal attacks on a lot of these leaders that were otherwise very popular. And when voters had to make a choice, you know, they chose the Georgians instead of uh, the former president. Got it. Finally, Patricia, tell me a bit about how people expect Georgia's relatively new election law to play out. I, I know voting starts, I think, in mid-October. Are people talking about that law still? I mean, it was a huge storyline for months. Um, and I'm just wondering, is it is it still or are, are people making voting decisions based on how they feel about that? Or have people moved on? You know, I think it um, is not as much of a storyline as we would have had, as we would have expected it to be. We had our primary elections in May of this year that went very smoothly. I think we had a huge turnout. We had gigantic turnout numbers and very few stories from voters saying I tried to vote and I couldn't vote. This law made it impossible for me to vote. So none of the kind of worst case scenarios that were predicted have come true so far. Um, also, the candidates and the campaigns are investing millions of dollars to educate voters and tell them how to vote this time mm. around. You know, so they're saying, do not bother thinking that there's going to be a drop box for you. <laughs> there's not, you know, here is exactly when you need to make your absentee ballot request. And here is exactly when you need to get that back into the Secretary of State's office. So they're spending a ton of resources simply educating the Georgia electorate about how to do all of these new things. And um, they've been largely successful. I know that Democrats still are worried that um, a shortened time to get your absentee ballot in could hurt them. They're especially worried that if this goes to a runoff in December, that's going to be that law also shortened the runoff window from nine weeks to four weeks. So that means if you're going to vote absentee, you need to really get on it and basically put in your request right away. Um, so there's a lot more work for 
um, these campaigns to do. There's a little bit more work for voters to do, um, but so far so good. And I think that's why we're not seeing as much coverage of, of that law because um, it just hasn't been as bad as, uh, as anticipated for voters. Patricia Murphy with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That'll do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, we'll keep an eye on the ongoing federal response to Hurricane Ian as Florida cleans up and continue to look at matchup race data in states with critical elections as the countdown to midterms continues. For all of us at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jessica Rosenthal from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.